a light appears in the distance. Someone has switched on a bedroom light. What a stroke of luck. It was at least 15 miles back that you passed the last house, and you happen to have broken down just a short distance from someone's home. From outside the car, you can see the building more clearly. Just ahead on the left, a drive winds up to a large house. You slam the door, turn up your collar, and head for the house. A flash of lightning lights it up clearly. The house is old, very old, and in a shocking state of repair. The light in the window is flickering, most likely an oil lamp, certainly not electric. As you climb the steps to the front door, little do you realize what fate has in store for you. Tonight is going to be a night to remember. This is White Atlantic Weird, the podcast about why people believe weird things. I'm Kian, and in this episode we're investigating a nostalgic pop culture article from my own childhood, something that mixes adventure game books with imaginary satanic cults. Join me for a glass of brandy as I rest in seclusion here at the cabin in Essex and delve into this most bizarre and terrifying of children's books. This episode, Choose Your Own Satanic Panic, Fighting Fantasy and House of Hell. Turn to page 151 to keep listening. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You can prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by bringing in a body. You've probably heard about the so-called satanic panic. It was that strange time in the 80s when, across the English-speaking world, there was a moral panic as lots and lots of people came to believe that a secret underground network of thousands of satanists in robes were abusing and murdering vast numbers of children in elaborate occult rituals. Now, not a shred of evidence was ever produced to justify this enormous uh, witch hunt, but as a result of it, many people spent years in jail for crimes that were, in many cases, literally impossible. Now, eventually interest waned, and society found other boogeymen to be afraid of, both imaginary and otherwise. But despite the pervasiveness of the satanic panic craze, it left surprisingly little effect on pop culture, at least as far as I've seen. While generic witches and even the devil himself had, of course, always popped up as handy villains in books and movies, the particular imagined villains of the 80s panic, a contemporary child-kidnapping cult of theistic Satanists, did not. Perhaps it was all seen as being a bit too grim, or perhaps everyone was just a bit embarrassed at having actually believed it. Well, one man who thought the idea neither too grim nor too embarrassing to include in a children's book was Mr. Steve Jackson, one half of the famous Steve Jackson and Ian Livingston duo who created the amazing fighting fantasy books in the 80s. Oh, and not the Steve Jackson who made Munchkin, he's American, though he did also write a fighting fantasy book once, which is confusing. Now, I don't know for sure that Mr. Jackson took inspiration directly from the Satanic Panic for the particular book I'm going to discuss. At least, as far as I know, he's not gone on record as having said so. 
I did meet him ever so briefly at Fighting Fantasy Fest in London last summer, but while both he and Mr. Livingston were absolute gents and signed my childhood copy of House of Hell, I didn't exactly get a chance to ask him this most burning of questions. But when all the facts have been laid out, you can decide for yourself. Mild spoilers for the book follow. Fighting Fantasy, if you don't know it, was a pioneering series of choose-your-own-way books. If you want to go down the mangy, smelly, orc-infested corridor, turn to paragraph 88. If you want to go down the fragrant, gold-lined hall of marble pillars, turn to paragraph 379. That sort of thing. And unlike the nearest American equivalent, the choose-your-own-adventure books, Fighting Fantasy employed sort of proto-RPG elements. You had to roll dice to create stats for your character and handle combat within the game and keep track of your stats as they changed. You also kept a record of items that you were collecting and clues that you find. The urge to cheat, of course, was ever-present and many young players favoured the five-finger bookmark technique, as Livingston himself cheerfully termed it. But authors became increasingly clever at hiding the true path in the books, and even employing traps constructed deliberately to catch cheaters. In a very real way, they served as a kind of training ground for fans who would later go on to play tabletop RPGs, chief among them, of course, Dungeons and Dragons. The books are beloved to this day in the UK and Ireland by nerds of a certain age, as choose-your-own-adventure books are in the US. Most of the fighting fantasy books seem to take place in a particularly British type of fantasy land, the world of Titan, with its three continents of the Old World, Cool, and Alancia. I think you could make the case that fighting fantasy drew more from Tolkien, while the American Dungeons and Dragons took more from the work of Robert E. Howard of Conan fame, though both of course pulled from a lot of the same influences. If you're a fan of Conan, by the way, stay tuned, we'll have an episode about him coming up soon. Anyway, book number 10 in the Fighting Fantasy series is called House of Hell. It was first published in 1984 and was written by Steve Jackson alone. Until the comeback book Blood of the Zombies in 2012, House of Hell remained the only fighting fantasy book set on Earth in contemporary times, i.e. 1984. The book has an all-time classic cover by legendary artist Ian Miller. It features a spooky-as-all-hell haunted house surrounded by those creepy Ian Miller trees, the ones only he can draw, the ones that look like they're actually souls twisting and writhing in torment or malformed demons somehow turned to wood. It is not at all the kind of house you want to be going into. Everything about this cover screams, get away. I absolutely love it. I was very sad when Mr. Miller had to pull out of Fighting Fantasy Fest last year. It would have been amazing to meet him. Now, imagine you were writing a haunted house scenario for a children's game book, and you've got to come up with a reason for all of the spooky shenanigans going on inside the house. Maybe there's some sort of head honcho ghost. Maybe there's a Dracula-type vampire boss the player has to face off against at the end. You know, nothing too threatening, right? Maybe it's a werewolf, a mummy, or any of the classic monsters 
that have kind of had this scare rubbed off them through years of familiarity. Well, Steve Jackson was having none of this. The reason House of Hell is riddled with kitchen zombies and skeletons wearing Panama hats and murderous spectral Great Danes is because it's the lair of a demon-worshipping, goat-head-wearing cult, the kind that would have been instantly recognisable to anyone caught up in the 80s satanic panic. There are robes, pentagrams, grimoires, and bloody sacrifices on stone altars. Make no mistake, while this imagery owes much to the books of Britain's 1930s occult uncle Dennis Wheatley, especially the refined aristocratic graces of these upper-class Satanists, this is the satanic cult of 80s paranoia. This is decidedly not a child-friendly haunted house with fun or friendly ghosts. This is not Boo's Mansion from Super Mario Brothers. It is, in fact, something far more unsettling and sinister. get underway with a classic cheesy horror movie scenario. You, the player, the main character, suffer a broken down car in the remote English countryside. And as you heard in the intro, this big old spooky house is the only dwelling around. And as it's 1984 and nobody has invented mobile phones yet, you have to go inside to ask for help. As the lightning flashes above you, the narration notes that it will indeed be a night to remember. Now, after deciding whether to wrap the door knocker, turn to 357, or pull the bell cord, 275, you are welcomed into the house by its owner, the sinister aristocratic Earl of Drumer, and his manservant Franklins. The illustrations make it clear that these two were based on horror icons Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, respectively, an Easter egg that went over my head as a child. Over midnight fine dining, duck or lamb, then cheese and coffee, the Earl quaffs brandy while wearing a quilted smoking jacket and regales you with the history of his privileged but unfortunate lineage. The Earl of Drumer is the last survivor of his family. His estate stretches for miles around the house. At one time, the estate was prosperous, with many tenant farmers cultivating the land and providing a healthy income for his family but things started to change. His sister died at the age of 32 under mysterious circumstances. She was found dead in a clearing in the woods with strange marks on her neck. News travelled fast and the ignorant peasants started muttering about witchcraft and black magic. In their eyes, the house was cursed. Following your initial meeting with this pair, you were given a bed for the night, then rudely awoken. It seems an untrustworthy hunchback is trying to poison you with bedtime drinks. You leave the room and decide to make your way out of the house. It's at this point that the real game begins. A disorientating hunt through a suitably hellish and maze-like mansion, 
absolutely crammed with fiends that want to whittle your stamina down to nothing or ramp your fear score up to the max. Steve Jackson has crafted a more complex and devious labyrinth in the House of Hell than would seem possible using only linked paragraphs. The gameplay in this section is brutal and frustrating, but the atmosphere is claustrophobic, oppressive and absolutely unsettling. The house itself feels like a brooding, malevolent presence, its old-world wood-panelled hallways impossible to escape. It isn't too much to say that, for me, reading this book in my formative years, the House of Drumer became one of the archetypal haunted houses, alongside perhaps Borley Rectory and the Spencer Mansion. Indeed, wandering lost through these gloomy corridors desperate to escape gave me the same feeling I would later have while playing the first Resident Evil. And when you make your way down the grand staircase to the front hall, a Resident Evil-like tactic indeed keeps you from escaping out the front door. For, should you choose to open it, you grip the handle, turn it slowly and pull the door open. The noise of the storm raging outside becomes louder. You start to walk through the doorway but stop and gasp. Standing before you in the doorway is a hooded figure, but its face is not human. Instead, the head is that of a goat and its mouth is red with blood, which is dripping onto the ground. Its dead eyes stare vacantly upwards. The sight is terrifying, and you must add three fear points. Strong stuff for a kid's book. Yes, the scariest thing about the house is not its catalogue of cheesy monsters, zombies and vampires. It's the satanic panic cult that steals the show. And Steve Jackson does not hold back at all. These are literal, human-sacrificing devil worshippers. Their dungeons are filled with suicidal, kidnapped victims who have lost all hope and don't even want to be rescued. The bodies of the cult's victims swing from trees and fall out of closets on top of you. And one soon-to-be coven member you can meet is so disturbed by the ceremony he's about to undergo that he will literally kill himself in front of you if you don't help him leave. This is grim, brooding stuff. The passageway leads into a large chamber with rocky walls. Mystical symbols are painted on the walls and four goat's heads mounted on spikes mark out the central area. In the centre of this area is an altar draped with a black cloth and a hooded figure stands by the altar. This figure wears a gown like the others but his goat's head is dyed purple. You hear the screams of a young woman. Two of the masked characters emerge from the passageway, pulling a pretty fair-haired girl who is fighting furiously to break free and screaming at the top of her voice. She is dragged to the altar and tied down on it. The congregation, led by their leader, chant, then the leader motions for Brother Isaacson to step forward. The two exchange masks and Brother Isaacson steps up to the altar. Drawing a sharp dagger from his gown, he raises it above the woman. Well, it looks like Steve Jackson has seen The Devil Rides Out. And, of course, the superb illustration accompanying this scene by Tim Sell of a nearly naked girl lying prostrate on the altar is wonderfully unsuitable for a children's book. The infamous illustration for paragraph 264, which was censored from some editions, including in America, where the whole book was actually called House of Hades, because apparently hell is a swear word there. There is an option in this scene not to interfere and allow the sacrifice of the girl to go ahead. 
And if you think Steve Jackson won't go there, well, you haven't been paying attention. Oh, and just in case you're wondering, the goat heads these creeps wear are not masks, and Jackson wants you to know it. In some scenes, blood drips from the severed necks of the goat heads, and somewhere in the dungeon beneath the house, there's a room full of savage great dames and decapitated goat bodies. One of the elements that makes the book feel authentic is the use of occult or occult-sounding words and language in the text. For example, all the rooms in the house are named after demons. They have names like Asmodeus, a legit prince of demons, Shaitan, what Muslims call Satan, Mammon, a personification of greed, Mephisto, the demon from Faust, Diabolus, which is just silly, and Balthus, who is the baddie in the fighting fantasy book Citadel of Chaos. I see what you did there, Jackson. A Chris knife also features prominently in the plot. Now, Chris knives are ceremonial talismans within Indonesian culture, and I was at a loss at first as to why Steve Jackson decided to link them to a story about English witchcraft and black magic, until I remembered that the English inventor of Wicca, Gerald Gardner, had lived in Southeast Asia as a young man, and had indeed written a treatise entitled The Chris and Other Malay Weapons. He was actually something of an expert on the subject. Gardner's Wicca being a mishmash of older occult and spiritual traditions, he took the idea of the Chris and used a very similar ceremonial weapon in his new religion. Hence the possible connection between the Chris and the black magic cult in House of Hell. Maybe. Well, that's it for the trivia. As for the gameplay, as I said, House of Hell is punishing, frustrating and ingenious. Time after time, your character will meet gruesome deaths at the hands of the Earl's minions. Even playing without stats and cheating your way through the choices, escape will probably still elude you for a long time. Even more cruelly, vast sections of the house are nothing but murderous dead ends, stringing you along with many decisions long after your doom has actually been sealed. As a kid, I was utterly convinced that I had exhausted every possible option and still I could not find the one true path. In his 1998 solution to the game, Leif Travis writes, I consider The House of Hell to be one of the hardest fighting fantasy books to solve, probably because of the numerous twists and turns of the passages. Mapping the house on paper would be a real trick. When I get enough nerve, I may do that. For over a decade, I was unable to escape from the house. Dozens of gruesome deaths later, I had thought it was impossible and the authors had not playtested the book properly. I recently decided to tackle the house again and make detailed notes and flowcharts, which explored every choice. It took three nights. In doing this, I discovered how the puzzle was written, and it all became clearer. There are plenty of dead-end areas and red herrings to be avoided in the house. Rooms can be arrived at from different directions, which will sometimes have you in a situation before you've got the required item to deal with. Steve Jackson, the author, has skillfully connected areas of the house like tangled yarn. It's one big maze. Other tricks he's employed include having duplicate paragraphs and worst of all, links which cannot be gotten to by any other links, requiring you to write down reference numbers and make mathematical operations to arrive at the new number. I like this description. 
it conveys something of the feeling of being trapped in the House of Drummer. House of Hell was a seminal influence on me as a kid. I've been fascinated by haunted houses ever since. And many years later, I finally became fascinated by the 1980s satanic panic as well. I have no idea why Steve Jackson decided to forego the usual kid-friendly Casper-style haunted house when he wrote this book, but I sure am glad he did. The satanic panic was a huge deal at the time, but only occasionally do I find these very particular 80s theistic satanists being used as straight villains without irony or parody in books or movies from that time. This is future editing, Kian. I actually can't believe I forgot to mention it, but House of Hell, uh, if you can't get a hold of the original book, is also available as an app from Tin Man Games. I highly recommend it. It's definitely worth checking out. It comes with updated artwork, suitably spooky music, and lots of other um, extra treats. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Once again, highly recommended. Now, it appears I've run out of brandy, so I'd better go for a top-up. Would you like some wine? If you like white wine, turn to 317. If you'd like red, turn to 400. You've been listening to a very satanic, very panicky episode of White Atlantic Weird. We're on Facebook now, so one of the most important things you can do to help the show is to find us there. I'll put the link in the notes below. And please share episodes with anyone who you think might like. Reviewing and giving stars on whatever podcasting platform you use is always appreciated as well. And as usual, if you say something funny, witty, uh, or otherwise interesting, we'll be happy to read it out on the show. If you had any uh, memories of fighting fantasy books or other choose-your-own-path books, we'd love to hear about those too, because we're interested in all different kinds of things, but mostly we want to hear if anything strange has ever happened to you. Because we promise to believe it, but the evidence has to be good. And thanks for listening. We are certain that Satanism exists. It's the practice of evil. And following closely behind this car was this unidentified flying object. You can prove the existence of the Bigfoot or Sasquatch by...